Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Together with Carla Saba, Lawrence McCahill founded the Happy Startup School, an antidote to business as usual. The Happy Startup School provides an online school and off-grid gatherings for purpose-driven entrepreneurs and leaders seeking to balance money with meaning. Our conversation with Lawrence was fascinating. His story is particularly inspiring for anyone who's struggling to find their purpose. Anyone who finds themselves with a feeling that this is not as good as it gets. A period travelling the world, uh, his time temping, a spell working for the financial, corporate, self-employment, building an agency and beyond... Lawrence has spent 20 years or so as a business, well, the best word to describe him is probably a a business sculptor. He chips away at the things that don't allow him to align what he thinks, says and does. When something doesn't feel right, he doesn't ignore the feeling. He changes something. He removes, removes some rock and slowly the image or the vision that he has starts to reveal itself. At the moment, it looks like the happy startup school but that's evolving too. I think the fact that Lawrence has been in business with Carlos, his mate from school since the age of about 10, um, really says something about the way that Carlos and Lawrence do business. They've spent much of those 20 years together in one form or another, and it really does say a lot about the two of them and the way they approach things. So, Enjoy this episode, Lawrence McCahill chipping away at the rock until the image reveals itself. Ding, ding. Ding. Right, let's do it. Uh, Lawrence from the Happy Startup School, thank you for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Um, this is this is going to be a good one, actually, because me and Ray know you reasonably well. We know a bit about your story, so hopefully we're, we're going to uh, learn a bit more about those moments um which we were just talking about upstairs of of, you know why you made the decisions that you did and um and how you ended up doing the thing you do today so why don't we start there do you want to like tell us a bit about you tell us a bit about um what you do today and how you describe yourself to people so i'm lawrence as you said i'm um a co-founder of a happy startup school which is a depending on which day you ask me this question (laughs) today it's a community of entrepreneurs um we are an alternative business school, but more and more about community of entrepreneurs who, a bit like this podcast really, look at life a bit differently than most and don't follow the grain. So, um, And that looks like an online school and platform that we run and are growing and uh, off-grid gatherings, experiences, programs that we offer both in the UK and around the world. Um, my background's in design, so I kind of wear many hats really and when people ask that question what do you do I take a big sigh <laughs> and then try and work out what's the answer that connects with the most depending on who they are but um so what's your what's your typical series of of answers depending on who you're speaking to um well actually i had this question once we had some friends well not friends of friends around and i was like i, I did that sigh yeah and then my son said he creates events that make people happy. 
Oh, amazing. Wow. This is like three years ago. He's probably like six or seven. I was ah. like, I've never, I would never say it like that, but that kind of hit the nail on the maybe, head, really. Maybe you should. Yeah. This is this has come up a lot, hasn't it? Like how much we can learn from kids. Yeah. Because he's just cut right through it and it's, and it's it's really simple. It's kind of like that. that is what you do. So yeah, I think that at the heart of it is helping people to find, I would say, happiness through entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, so whilst we believe in all living happier lives and being better humans, we look at it through the lens of entrepreneurship. That's one thing we've learned. There's lots of great organizations out there. I know you've spoken to Mark Williamson from Action for Happiness and there's the Museum of Happiness and there's lots of positive um, organizations like that. But we really are passionate about entrepreneurship too. So mm. we kind of blend this mix of, I guess, personal development and growth with entrepreneurship and how you can align those things, not then be competing with each other. And the words happy has almost become a bit overused. It's a bit vanilla today. So would you talk to that for a minute and just talk to us about like ha- ha- where do, when, you, when you say happy, what does that mean to you? This is something we come across a lot. It's a loaded word, isn't it? Mm. It's one of those words that polarizes. I think the one thing we come across a lot, across a lot, a lot is, um, oh, come on. It's not all about happiness. You know, live in yeah. the real world. Yeah, yeah. Let's so, get serious. This is business. This is business. Well, part of this is business, but this is life. Yeah. You know, you know, we know work's tough to get on with it. Stop, stop trying to be happy all the time. So I think the definition of it is probably a good starting point because of that. Because when people think, some people think happy is unicorns and rainbows. It's yeah. smiling every day. It's, you know, skip, skipping into work every day and everyone's lovely and you're high-fiving each other. And that's what happiness looks like, right? We're, we're just at a state of pleasure and joy all of the time which I think is nonsense. Um, happiness for me and the way we picture it is more of a feeling. It's more of a a feeling of contentment or aligning, alignment in terms of doing work that we believe in, working with people we like, and actually sharing that journey and looking at it as a roller coaster of highs and lows, not it's all great. Yeah. So being in touch with our negative emotions too, so whilst we're the happy start of school, you'll come to some of our events and there'll be people looking anything other than happy, mm. probably because they're asking themselves questions which will lead to sort of longer-term happiness, but maybe at the cost of short-term pleasure. Mm. Would it be fair to say that, in part, at the very least, it's about bringing what you think and what you do together? Absolutely. That's the alignment piece for me. It's the... When someone asks what happiness is, it's the Gandhi quote, you know, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do in harmony. Mm. Yeah. And that... So some people call it coherence, some people call it congruence. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's about not feeling that feeling when you're saying something that you don't really believe or you're doing something you don't believe or, you know... It, or you're amongst a, a group of people that don't, that aren't the kind of people that you'd naturally hang out with. But that's okay, hanging out with people that you don't naturally hang out with because that's the way you learn. But but if, if it's if it's um every day. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah at yeah. work. It's just you just don't feel you don't feel like you fit in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Same because thing, because right? they got a different probably a different set of values. Yeah. yeah. Or, or 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 the very least are or acting in line with a set of values that are maybe corporate values that they don't believe in. Mm. But they're not prepared to do something about it and maybe you are yeah i think values are probably the starting point mm. for this work 
in terms of there's happiness as a definition of okay aligning who you are what you think whatever but what does that mean for me um what do i believe what do i think what do i do and a lot of people don't know so they know that maybe the environment they're in isn't right and something's like ah, i don't like the way someone treated someone or the values of the company are very profit driven for example but they can't quite put the finger on what it is that that is their thing and so that's i guess what we try and help people understand is what are your drivers for making decisions that will help you to align those things more mm. because then you'll know what business to start which career to take what to say yes to what to say no to which most people as we discussed a little bit before don't know how to make those decisions because they're not sure what they want they just mm. know what they, what they don't want mm. and that's the work to be done really is to understand okay which is the hardest question to answer what makes me happy mm. yeah. and what, what 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 have you found so far on this journey you've been doing this for what is it about five four or five years now yeah we launched well launched it was a, a soft launch we launched the happy startup school as an idea i think at the end of 2012 yeah. so six or so years as a as an idea out in the world we only uh, took it on as our full-time focus from 2015 so we're kind of four years in okay. as, as our main thing and and yeah what would you say we'll, we'll go back in time in a bit mm. but what, what would you say you've learned so far about um people's ability to rediscover imagine a future um find find happiness and find that that balance in in work well one thing we've learned is it's a lonely place doing it on your own <laughs> it's bloody hard uh, that's that's one thing we've learned is ha that happier path happiness takes courage it takes real courage to pursue something that doesn't feel oh sorry it doesn't look like an obvious choice to make on the outside yeah yeah so making these choices might be like yeah i want to do something that's more in line with my values great and then someone's like why are you leaving that well-paid job again and you're like oh shit yeah i can't remember mm. <laughs> so being around other people who are also making those choices is really one of the things that we've learned we always create this community by accident we sure. didn't set out to create a community of entrepreneurs we set out to teach people how to do entrepreneurship in a more purposeful way and that's led us to you know kind of by accident people naturally going oh this is really lonely and you think the same way that i do let's hang out together and have a beer or coffee or talk about stuff in a way that feels feels right and then building that support network around you you start to realize okay even if i don't end up building that business or making that dream happen i've got other people around me who think the way that i do yeah um so we have lots of people in our community who aren't entrepreneurs but they like being around the vibe of people who are doing meaningful work in that way and they then bring some of that magic back to their roles and companies or make a tweak in their career and actually just re rethink the way that they work yeah or, or support those that are exactly or they're the, the, yeah, they're the right hand man or woman you know they're the coo or or they're the admin person or they're just the cheerleader um i, I met a woman well she's actually been to about three of our event uh, summer camps and she she just looked completely different to what the last i'd seen because she's been along to a couple of them and she's like the one who's she feels a bit like the naughty school kid who's not done her homework, who hasn't started a business yet. Yeah, yeah, and just okay. keeps coming along. She's still, still trying right. to work out what, what, what Well, she had been for a couple of years and then she just realized, actually, I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's good. I'm, which is great because we don't want to, no. not everyone should start no, a business. Right. So I'm seeing it, I, I used to see it as a negative, like oh, everyone should do this because it's right. Yeah. But as we said earlier, it's, it's not the path that everyone will or should take. But that doesn't stop her from doing work that means something to her no. or being around people whose 
you know companies she enjoys and she's just re 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 shifted the way she thinks about her role and now people call her the corporate hippie in her job (laughs) and she's like you know people are coming to her for advice or mentorship or um just positive energy and so just by Does does it say that on her business card I don't know, but it definitely should. It d- yeah. definitely should. I can see that as a role. Yeah. Corporate hippie. Yeah. <laughs> can we just for a second Hippiness talk, officer. talk yeah. about <laughs> the, 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 the role that money plays in um, in your world of happiness and, and the way that people look at that? Because you mentioned before leaving this well-paid job. Um, so I just want to touch on that for a minute. Of It's something that, that Mark spoke about when we were talking about not missing the fact that to a lot of people they really don't have a choice because there's all sorts going on in their lives that are so far away from the levels of freedom that we can feel but I just wonder um yeah kind of where, where I know it's something that you've talked about so can you just give us some thoughts around what role does money play as a driver or as a consideration for people in that journey of of change well one thing is as Mark might have said, I'm sure, well, knowing a lot about how the, um, the work he talks about is, you know, the evidence says that once we reach a certain point of income, salary, our happiness doesn't you know, go up in the same way. So once our basic needs are met, then generally um, we want more and not more money. We want more, something more, so yeah. more meaning. So I think that's the first thing. Clearly, we've all got bills to pay. We've all got family or lots of people have got families and other commitments. Um, so... We would always encourage people to be prudent about how they make any of these shifts, number one. So if they're going to make a big change in their life, then making sure that they are you know, they have a bit of a runway. Or, which is more of our approach and the way we took it, was testing ideas out. So you know, not feeling like it's so binary that either I make this big shift or I don't. Mm. How about you just start experimenting and putting some feelers out and seeing what works and what doesn't. And then from there there's less of a big gamble in terms of I'm either giving up my well-paid salary or investing money into a business, taking a big risk with my um, savings, for example, or dropping salary to actually, this feels like a calculated gamble. And the way I've always thought about it and from my experience of work is I'm going to earn more money doing something I care about. Yeah, right. I spend... Eventually. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the PS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but over the long term, um, yeah. and even if I don't, it's... It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's a fair yeah. trade. It's yeah. a, and actually, it's a choice yeah. of time. You know, we we chatted about this earlier. Is I think the time thing is a big a big factor mm. when we ask. You know, oh, you got this new job, great, good salary. Yeah, okay. You know, no one ever says, oh, how at what cost is this salary coming into your world? Yeah. You know, how many extra hours? What does the commute look like? All these factors which affect our happiness yeah, at work sure. or even in life. But those aren't the questions we ask. We just ask how how you're going to be compensated for it. So um, it's important, but it's not the sole goal or yeah. the sole measure. And um, like you said, I've always thought about it as a long-term view. I worked in the city of London for 10 months and hated every minute so much that I got out pretty quick, but only because the company I worked for was so bad that I just looked ahead to my boss and my boss's boss, who were all earning huge six-figure salaries, but not seeing their kids mm. or not even being someone that I would look up to and think I want to be you in 10, 20 years time. I just thought I, you can give me all the money in the world to be that person. And so that for me was a game changer because I just thought, well, if that's what success looks like in this world, I'm out. (laughs) Do do you remember, was that kind of a bit, so you were there for 10 months um, and was it death by a thousand cuts or was it more profound than that? 
Oh, it was probably death on the first day, to be honest. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd set myself a target of, okay, this is bad, but I just need a few quid under my belt to make it feel less of a big risk to leave this job. Okay, let's 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 come back a bit, and then we'll, okay. we'll, we'll, yeah, so we'll, we'll go back idea. into the past, and we'll come back to there, because I, I, I want to just start by mentioning that you come as a pair, um, <laughs> so we should say hello to, to Carlos and apologise to him, actually, because it was it was one of either of you. And um and it ended up being you, but it could equally be Carlos. We'll probably speak to Carlos at some point. But um so you run Happy Startup School with Carlos. You ran your business before with mm-hmm. Carlos and I think you grew up together as well, right? Yeah, we went to school together. So let's let's start there then. So earliest memories of you and Carlos, what kind of age and, and what, what did your what did your world look like back mm. then? Other than being so actually, shorter. Can I ask another question? Was there a life pre Carlos? <laughs> <laughs> what like a previous life <laughs> well when did you meet carlos how, how old oh, were you? um that's bc yeah exactly <laughs> he is a god <laughs> he's um, gonna love that he's not this podcast but you know he's been referred to <laughs> as a right, religious yeah. figure <laughs> we i would say we were about seven because carlos started at a different primary school to me but then joined midway but he wasn't in my class so there was only two two classes per year in my school where was that in the world in west london okay. in, well Middlesex, which yeah. most people would not know what it's a, it's a postal address <laughs> rather than an actual place, a place called Greenford, which is in ah, in Ealing. Know. Yeah, um, it's pretty it's unremarkable, not, and it's nowhere near as nice as Ealing. No, no Ealing's really. <laughs> so nice, when someone yeah. says where are you from, I say Ealing because that's <laughs> yeah. where we went out, or just when, London when we went for a yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah, um, and even Ealing's a lot nicer than it was then. Um, so yeah, Greenford is a suburban part of London, full of. At the time, which even also, it's a bit of an immigrant hub. So I went to a Catholic school and Carlos was at that too. And it was, yeah, I was, my parents were Irish. Carlos's family from Filipino, mm-hmm. Philippines and Italy. Um, my other best friends were Sri Lankan, French, you know, Italian. It was a real melting pot of, of nationalities really, which is kind of, um, I guess, set the tone to this day. And yeah, we met, I'd say we only really became friends in high school. So okay. whilst I, knew, I met him at about seven four or five of us we were the in-betweeners of our day um uh we met yeah i'd say the first year of high school and that's where that four or five there was five of us who were very close and carlos was one of those people did you so so you were hanging out and you were there in the same group of friends mm-hmm. were you do you remember taking on any kind of like projects or working together on anything um in those earlier days i think well i would say i never ever thought i would start a business and i definitely never ever thought I would start business with Carlos. Okay. Um, we were very different. I mean, we, were, we weren't even best friends. So like, there's another one of the group who I was best friends with. He was best friends with someone else. So, you know, it wasn't like we were competing, but just as in he had a natural affinity to yeah, yeah. someone else in the group. Um, but the five of us hang around together. Um, and Carlos was, he was like the, you know, the clever kid in the class. He was the one who knew the answers to everything. He put his hand up when he didn't understand something to the point at which the math teacher would look, would talk afterwards, you know, because they, <laughs> right, they okay. didn't have the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so even though he knew everything, he still appeared like he knew nothing. So everyone's like, just get on with it. We all understand it, even though none of us did. Yeah. So he was the definitely the scientist from a young age, always questioning. Um, and he was just a walking fashion disaster, to be honest. So you made it, you made him slightly <laughs> so, more cool. So that was your, that was your well, I wouldn't fashion. go that far. I've got a fur I can show you after this, which would <laughs> dispel that myth. Okay. <laughs> but um, yes, uh, Carlos was uh, the butt of the jokes in a good way because yeah, his mum used to buy his clothes. So we used to uh, constantly rib him. And just about the fact is, yeah, he was cleverer than he needed to be at that age. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. And then fast forward a few years. Um, what, what did you, did you kind of, 
did you take separate paths at some point? So you went through high school together, yeah. secondary school, and then university. Yeah, so we went to <clears throat> we went to sixth form together in the same school, and Carlos, being Carlos, got straight A's in A level, and he was going for Oxford. Didn't get in, which I think still now probably pisses him off. Um, <laughs> Why did he not get in? Do you know? I don't, Maybe I we don't, could talk to him about I don't know if he passed the exam. Okay. Wasn't there an exam? I don't yeah, know. Well, probably. I've, I've yeah. got a feeling, or maybe he did pass it and he didn't get through the vibe. I'm not sure. But anyway, mm-hmm. there was a that was another path for him, and that's for his podcast. Yeah. But we, we went on very different routes. So, yeah, me, Carlos, and all our friends went off to different unis. I stayed in London and went to Queen Mary, and Carlos went to Brighton, um, which is one of the reasons I'm living down here now. Um, and he studied not just a degree, he then studied a PhD. So he went on this big academic journey until he got to the point where he thought, okay, I don't want to be an academic for the rest of my life. I need to make something happen in the real world. Well, either make money or get out of this lab because yeah. he was living, yeah, in, yeah, a, yeah, okay, living yeah. in a dark room with lasers yeah, yeah. and, and uh, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, that we didn't understand. Um, so we went on very different paths. He studied physics and became an atomic physicist, whatever that is. And I studied economics and geography which is a cop-out <laughs> degree yeah right that's it's really like interesting you either become a teacher or a um work in a city and so did you just do you had an interest in geography or are you good at good at it i think it's one of those things when you have to make decisions at school you go on this path so you don't really remember why and how i know happened. i i definitely had an interest in people so i studied human geography um at uni which was much more about populations and so actually when i think about it i always think oh, my degree had nothing to do with what i do now but mm. it's like business and people it's like actually there is yeah, there yeah, is something there yeah but it was more the career that it was meant to lead to wasn't the career that i wanted so 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 you didn't really go into that with a with a, an obvious intent of where you were going to go beyond that point it was definitely a delaying tactic yeah right <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people I describe know that feeling yeah. yeah um i didn't i knew i didn't want to work um i knew there was things that interested me. It was one of those things, things that I was good at, really. Mm. You know, I was good at maths. I was good at economics at school. Um, I enjoyed geography. I was curious about that. And it seemed like a sensible thing to, to make those things work together. But in terms of a, a long-term strategy of where this would lead to, it was purely putting putting off that decision. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then after that, went traveling for a year and a half. So that kind of highlights the fact that, yeah, work wasn't something I wanted to embrace too soon. And um, tell us a, a bit about the traveling. So the traveling was, um, this is the gap year before it was a big thing, <laughs> I guess. This is like mid 90s. So yeah, I, I just wanted to go and see the world, you know, after studying for a long time. For some reason, India was a big pull to me. Uh-huh. And I'd met people, my now wife, but then girlfriend and another friend. We went three of us off together for on this journey, um, which lasted a year and a half. So yeah, that was... I guess just something that pulled me there rather than there was nothing keeping me back other than just a, what I saw as, you know, a lifetime of work and work not really being something that I knew what it would be and therefore felt scary and quite constraining. Were you in any way looking for something on on that journey? Um, yes and no. It wasn't one of those, I'm going to go to India or to Asia to find myself. It was more, there's a big world out there. And I've I've read about loads of these places and I want to go see them and go on an adventure more than I think. It was pretty adventure was at the heart of it. Yeah. The unknown. Plotting it out. I really enjoy organizing and planning, you know, not to an unhealthy level, but more just just mapping something out. And that 
you know, I was generally in charge of that for the three of us. And there was also the avoiding bit, wasn't there? Oh, that was a huge part. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, I think there was, you know, looking back, you know, well, I, I don't even know if there was a career service at the university I went to, but there was no trajectory that was encouraged the way you would start to think, okay, why have you made these decisions? Mm. What, what, how would you use your experiences or strengths to do something that will actually, you know, get you excited rather than, oh, it's just a job. And it was just like, what what were the jobs available? There was a milk round, yeah. you know, where the... the that's big... not a milk round as in going <laughs> no. to milk. That's, um, that's well, tell us about milk, the milk round because people might not know what that is. It's basically where the, the big consultancies come around and try and recruit young gullible graduates <laughs> yep. for their companies. Um, and so... I'm not sure if it still happens in the same way, but I know then it just felt like either I go and work for a big corporate and sell out or I don't. <laughs> yeah. Or I go and work for my parents in the pub. Um, That's what your mum and dad did. did they? They ran at the a- time, yeah. So for a long time, they um, they ran pub. Well, my dad used to be a teacher actually at the school that me and Carlos went oh, to did they? Okay. Many, many moons ago. And he taught my mum there, which is a <laughs> whole other story. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and a, a, they lead me to believe there was no overlap, but, you know, there are doubts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was 10 years between them, which now, or oh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but at the time, recently, it seemed not too long. But when he's 28 and, or 27, she's 17, it does seem quite a, a big age gap. Yeah, we, yeah. we shouldn't go down this route. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we'll keep it clean. Um, so yeah, so my my dad used to be a teacher for 20 years and then decided to run pubs, which is two, huh, two, a big change. two big changes, uh, both quite stressful. And so, yeah, at the time, well, for a lot of my upbringing, I was living above a pub in different parts of London, huh. which again is uh, an unconventional way to live, I guess. Yeah, like, but it also gets you used to people, doesn't it? Absolutely. And and talk, we talked about your bell before you were saying about how you have a bell when the podcast starts. Um for me, bedtime was when the bell rang. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So last orders. Yeah. Okay. I can go to sleep now because the noise is stopping. Yeah. So unless there was a lock-in. Um, so yeah, my parents ran pubs. So I lived in Heathrow, God, all over London. Uh, Knightsbridge uh, was probably the best, the pinnacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pinnacle pub it was downhill from there. Um, but it was a great experience in, I guess, community really. My parents were good hosts. And so that's probably one of the other reasons that's led me to do what I do today is that bringing people together again being from an irish family as well that's mm. part of the dna is music and you know general uh bonhomie you yeah know, people coming together so so you've got like that you've mentioned diversity and community and people and so that that's that's really interesting because and as you say that even what you studied indirectly starting to become um a, a thing that informs your future mm. um but you were mentioning that when you were when you were traveling You'd only just realised this recently, but you, your wife mentioned that there was something you were drawing, mm. um, which happened to be something of a vision for the future, which maybe at the time you you weren't clear about. So yeah, we we stayed in lots of backpacker hostels all around Asia, um, and I think our goal was like a pound a night. So we we stayed in some you know, interesting places. <laughs> let's say sometimes that got you breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you wouldn't want to eat the breakfast. No, true. I got very good at uh, trialing out banana pancakes because that seemed to be the breakfast of choice in Asia at the time. <laughs> it's amazing how many different ways you can, you know, make a banana pancake. Apparently, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just remember it was like being 
I mean, TripAdvisor didn't exist then. Actually, email didn't exist because I remember <laughs> sending home letters. That's how long ago yeah. it was, which is quite crazy. Um, I just remember thinking like, okay, we're, we're getting good at knowing what a good stay feels like. Mm. And so by the end of being away for a year and a half, it was almost like, okay, if I was to create a really good place to stay, then it would look like this. And it would, um, actually, I've traveled for a year and a half. I'm bored of living out of a rucksack. I want everyone to come to me. So kind of drew this picture of, I think it was in Cornwall, but certainly somewhere in the UK of this. It was like a holistic campsite, which had elements of all the good things that we'd seen across this journey. So, you know, one place we stayed in had a little book stall and you could just, you know, gift a book or take a book. And uh, one had a ping pong table and there was music and there was this and that. So all the elements that we thought worked, really comfy sofas, something that felt like home. I remember drawing this picture and saying, wouldn't it be great to create that sort of business one day or create that place and then totally forgot about it for mm. what seemed like 20 years until my wife reminded me a couple of years ago after our summer camp, which we'd run for about three or four years at that point, that that was pretty like that thing you drew years ago That's when really we just got back from traveling. And I was like, oh yeah, people coming from around the world to be part of this holistic experience and sharing you know, food, music, experiences together. Mm. Uh, and we're putting it on and we're hosting it and it's you know, on my terms. I was yeah. like, yeah. And, and, but that wasn't in your conscious, that was in your subconscious. Totally subconscious. <clears throat> totally. I hadn't even, you know, it was like a real whoa moment, you know? Yeah. Because when we, when we started Happy Startup School, we evolved to the point of coming to a, uh, uh, an experience like summer camp. It wasn't like planned from the beginning. Oh, let's create an event where we bring people together for three days and stay on a farm and we kind of got to the point of, I mean, you, Ray spoke at the first one we did in London, which was a day, right? Mm. Um, and we did meetups and we did this day thing and then we kind of, oh, people want to stay, stick around and no one wants to go home. Okay, let's stay overnight. <laughs> you know, and it, it wasn't like this was pre-programmed. It so worked itself out. It worked itself out, but maybe underneath it was... Yeah, the, sub, you know, the subconscious helping is, to drive it. Makes you wonder how much control you have over your decision. <laughs> Certainly me. Um, yeah, but it is fascinating, and I, you know, it's worth. I think it's worth repeating the conversation we had before we started recording here because that <clears throat> having that, well, let's just call it a vision at the moment, um, and whether it's in your conscious or your subconscious, having it there, and what once it's there, any steps that you take that are away from a vision are a loss particularly if it's very clear vision you can actually see it you know mm. you, you know you really really feel as though you can see it yeah any steps that are not in the direction of that you're losing out and that is a much psychologically it's a much bigger motivator losing something yeah. than it is than gaining something and so i suppose the question is, how did Carlos buy onto th buy into this? Because th there was two two of you, mm. you know, on by that time, there's two of you on the journey. You'd started Spook Studio, yeah. Um, so well, let's just, go back to that. Actually. Let's, let's, let's let's step back a little bit more because we so we we're going to hold on to that um, mm. that image of the future, but then you get back from traveling and the. And the obvious thing to do was, well, may maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was time to earn some money and do your own thing. But you mentioned that your mum and dad are running a pub and you could have mm -hmm. gone and worked there and you're kind of avoiding that. Mm. But then you, you got into, I think it was immediately into design. It was into an agency, wasn't it, in London? 
Not quite as straightforward as that. I so I worked in this job for the city in the city for in a pension fund for ten months. Ah, uh, did back. you? So that's um, the economic side. Well, actually, another part of the story. When I was traveling, yeah. I had a bus crash in New Zealand, which is also a pivotal moment. Okay. So we, well, strangely enough, we traveled for six months around Asia without a scratch on us, and then I think we got to Melbourne. My wife had just started working in a cafe. She got hit by a car, knocked her front teeth out, completely Ooh. random. Then we had a fire in our apartment in God. Melbourne. And then a month later, we got to New Zealand and uh, the bus we were on crashed and nearly dropped into a river. Wow. And I broke my back. You Really? Yeah. So I was in hospital for two weeks. Um, and eventually we came home. <laughs> my parents were like, just come home now. Um, but it meant I was actually, actually out of action for a few months when I got back home because uh. I was trying to find, well, A, get better and B, you know, that kind of hit me, hit me even more like, oh, and now I need to get, a, you know, get in the real world. Mm. So um, actually that became, I think, a key part in everything I've done since is being, A, it was a close call. Sure. It was, you know, as close as I've ever got to a near-death experience. But also because my back has been an issue from then, it's a really good, I guess, yardstick for me. So in terms of if I'm in a stressful situation or something doesn't feel right, it's like a heightened radar for me, mm. you know, like a bullshit radar. Mm. So I think it's helped me to make decisions that are much more in tune to who and I am. And that's so because you're, you, 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 there will be some amount of physicality to how you're... Yeah, it's just... So it's like um, when I first got... I uh, had the injury. It's one of those things they just said, you'll, you'll have chronic back pain for, for most of your life. Partly because of the, the treatment I had was so poor because it was in the back end of nowhere in the South Island of mm. New Zealand. I vividly remember the... So everyone got off the bus. Most people were fine. And I just buckled up. I had to lie on the road. And then the, I heard this ambulance came and it was like the equivalent of a St. John's ambulance. And it was like a sketch show. I know it's so bad. It was so funny. Um, I could hear them trying to, the two old boys trying to work out, trying to work out how to put the stretcher together. They literally had never done it before, I think. And then I got to the hospital, and I, they were probably only, quite excited. I was They'd just thinking trained. the same thing. It's a really They'd exciting trained, day for them. Yeah. yeah, trained for this moment. They tell the story for, really for sixty years, though, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got to the hospital, and there was one other person in the hospital, and he was about eighty. And I sort of spent two weeks in this hospital with one person, watching him dribble over his dinner. And I remember I had the X-ray, and at this point, I remember not being able to feel my legs. Literally thinking I can't walk. I went, you know, and I'm sure it was shock. Mm. Um, and then they did an X-ray, or they did it. The only person in the hospital who seemed to be able to use the x-ray machine did the x-ray and he showed it to me and said, what do you think? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> wow. Oh, dear. And I've still got the it x-ray to this day. And the x-ray, number one, my jacket was still on. <laughs> and number two, the zip of my jacket was exactly where I had the fracture in my back. Oh, really? So you yeah. didn't even see it? And now I think it's appeared in like chiropractic journals, you know, of how not to do an x-ray. Brilliant. Um, well, it's so, so brilliant it, it, it wasn't obviously no, it was, it was it, but it was comedy the whole yeah. thing the whole ex- and did, then did you laugh um i think i laughed once i could feel my legs move again yeah that's, you know at yeah. that point that was that wasn't funny but after that um and then we then and then i left the hospital went to <laughs> i remember like we, my wife just couldn't wait to get out of the hostel she was staying she'd mm. been there two weeks um as well on her own and you know the, the, the whole bus group had gone by this point which is another story um and then we went to the supermarket to get some biscuits before we left the town and the nurse the only nurse was behind the checkout <laughs> <laughs> okay. so yeah this was a small the yeah, small yeah. Place. where was it it was in a place called westport in new zealand yeah oh, okay um 
But anyway, my point of telling that story was it wasn't like come back from travel and go straight into work. Yeah. It was like a lot of time to reflect lying on the sofa and trying to get treatment to, for something that probably should have been done properly first time and, around. And, and, and the accident obviously curtailed your traveling or were you uh, on your way it, home? Well, no, it was one of our last stops. Actually, it, it slowed it down a bit because I couldn't do a long haul journey. Right, so we, okay. we stayed in Fiji for a couple of weeks to just like lie on the beach and then did little hops all the way home really mm. in the US. So yeah, in, in some ways it, it probably cut it sure maybe about a week or two but um, yeah okay yeah in some ways we've done the hard risky bit in asia yeah you would have thought yeah um so so yeah so when i came back to think about work then it was okay then you know this is another factor to consider sure it's like and, and as it turned out the job i ended up in was a desk bound job which is the worst thing to do how did that come about um i remember going to was it manpower like yeah. a recruitment agency in london okay. yeah Guns for hire, you know, and like I've got a degree in economics, uh, and 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 I've done nothing for a year and a half <laughs> because then you couldn't put travelling on your CV. Mm, it was yeah. like gap. Yeah, that's right. You couldn't. Yeah, you, you, you had to, to find ways of uh, yeah. covering mm. it up. Whereas now it'd be, oh, I've gone to find myself, and uh, you know, yeah. these things make me who I am. And yeah. I yeah, yeah. worked for a volunteered for this or whatever. Whereas, well, you know why? Because the people who went travelling and the ones employing people, yeah, yeah, and they think right. it's a good thing. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so yeah that was a that was a time where i had to work you know think on my feet really and so i remember getting a data entry job and it was like the thing you did when you could work with numbers you know input data into excel or input data and but this this wasn't the job that you referred to earlier where you just knew immediately that this wasn't the future you wanted this was this was before that this was a little bit before that Um, how were you feeling about that environment how are you feeling about kind of you know going into the world of work and the first the first kind of real experience that you had of of entering that life um, i remember just thinking i didn't know where i fitted in i mm. didn't know that it felt like you know you have the options at school you know were like, you wearing oh, shorts and sandals no no <laughs> i think i'd bought some clothes by then okay. uh yeah no i i think i'd accepted that i'll probably end up in an office somewhere mm. And it was only by trying it out that I realized that I really didn't enjoy it. And uh, to be fair, I, I worked at, um, so one of the first temp jobs I got was, so before I went to that pension fund, I worked temping in different places, data entry, basically jobs that have a name that don't really need to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I worked, um, so I got a job at Amex in Victoria in, uh-huh. the, in the head office and ended up on the floor with all the VPs of Amex from around the world, which is bizarre. With lots of boys who lived in Brighton who got promoted from... Oh, yeah, of course, because Amex has yeah. been headquarters. So it was yeah. this weird mix of like local boys done good from Brighton working in Victoria with, you know, people who were getting ridiculous salaries who've come over for a year from New York mm-hmm. um, and just seeing those worlds collide. And actually, the, the group of lads I was working with were really good fun, almost to the point of this is ridiculously inappropriate yeah. <laughs> because it was just, you know, not not what you'd expect for a corporate environment. Yeah. Um, but fun people to work with for a period of time. And good at their jobs? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they were like, um, it was their life calling, but they did their jobs and they were on the train at five, two minutes past five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. They did what they had to do and, yeah. and got out. But yeah, they were diligent. But actually they didn't take it too seriously. That's and good. I think this mix of people who took it so seriously and the people who didn't take it seriously at all. And that was a really good experience for me to understand that, okay, there's different ways of playing within this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that was only temporary and then I ended up while I was there I went from doing data entry to like messing around on PowerPoint and designing 
PowerPoint slides for the VPs for their meetings and realizing I had a more creative side that wasn't being tapped into. So the actual job I got in that pension fund was more doing visuals and you know that kind of stuff. So num- turning numbers into visuals. Can I just go back to American Express? Hmm. Because the way the Brighton boys, as you describe them, treated work, that sort of at two minutes past five out the door mm. and going back to their the life that they enjoyed is another way of doing it, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and, and there's a lot to be said for it. And there's a lot of people that do that. There's a yeah. you know, there's a lot of people I know that they will go to work, they will do their work, they won't they won't um go above and beyond, but they'll yeah. do a good enough job yeah. that they're not gonna get fired and they might occasionally get a promotion. Yeah. Um but it is a it is a valid way yeah. of, of living your life. Um, Absolutely. I think the thing for me, it gave me, it gave me the polar opposites. Like there's different ways of viewing work. And I would say I align more with them than I did the other yes. people there because I knew that most of the work wasn't that important. You know, I was creating like graphs of coverage of Amex within the Southeast region. You know, it was yeah, like, yeah. it was like, not something and to be honest most of the time i create these things no one even looked at them (laughs) you know so it felt like pointless work and and i think a lot of the people within that team knew that you know the brighton boys knew that but the people they were pointing to were running scared because they were pointing to someone and they needed to make their job feel important yeah because they were on the career they wanted to succeed they wanted to win they wanted to progress yeah they wanted to climb the corporate ladder okay well it felt like those those people to me were very needy very trying they're trying to look good trying to appeal trying to get uh, i guess validation or like make their boss like them or you know there was people who definitely could work their way up the company but it was all about how other people feel about my work and trying to do as little as they could to get there Rather yeah. than just enjoying the thing they're doing, being so, content with that. So, it, what what you what you sound? It sounds like you're <laughs> you're getting access to um, different ways of work and life integrating, mm. um, and you know why people are there, what they're getting from it, um, what they're giving to it. So, uh, you know, almost fortunately, you've got an interesting um, juxtaposition there in in mm. those experiences so far yeah but also it, it, at that time it sounds like you you you've tapped into another part of what lights you up because you've fallen into this design thing which wasn't mm. something you've necessarily studied for but something that was valued and something that you were starting to enjoy yeah it was a complete accident and i i, I was i think it was two things one is i realized that going down this more robotic route which is more what i you know a lot of people who studied what i studied economics or a lot of people who go into working for these companies um, they become analysts or they're just working mm. on the numbers side and it's a very desk bound job um, and I realised I could do that but I don't want to do that mm. so then thinking okay there's other things that I can use my strengths in hence the more creative side so yeah it was very much oh okay I've probably ignored this for the last six years since I studied art at age 12 <laughs> and then decided to do more useful you know studies Do you do you remember just taking a slight tangent do you remember doing art at school mm. and we you were you must have been good at art you must have enjoyed art but you didn't pursue art um academically yeah i was okay at it i mean i enjoyed it i wasn't one of these like really creative types okay so i think that's where 
even though I was a designer for many years, I didn't really feel like a designer. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like an imposter because a lot of the people I was working with were trained designers and they studied design. Yeah, okay, interesting. So you so you found design in a in a different way I, too. I was self-taught, like, which yeah. meant that like a lot of things where you're self-taught, you're always sort of winging it, I think. Mm. And so I've winged a lot of careers. Um, I remember the first time someone, the first time I went to do a freelance job as a designer. So fast forward a bit after the, uh, that horrendous uh, experience working in the city, I I thought, okay, scrap this. I'm going to learn web design. It was around 1999, I think. And so it was the time of the dot-com boom and just thought, okay, I'll, I really got passionate about learning about this stuff. And so I taught myself how to very basically design a website and then, a week later, I went into a recruitment consultancy in North London, asked if there was any jobs, and then they put me straight into this company. And I walked in, they were like, you're the web designer. And like, look behind me. Like, oh, yeah, me. And like, am I? Like, I have no clue what I'm doing. But at that point, it didn't matter because no one else did. Yeah. You know, there was very few designers. The land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> yeah. And then just got good at, you know, being more confident. But I think, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm the designer here. Uh, and so that... I think what I realized in that world was the thing that a lot of people needed was this blend of taking a brief, trying to deliver on the brief and making it as creative as possible within that. Mm. I think a lot of the people I worked with were artists and came from that creative world. They went to the St. Martins or and they were just incredible designers, you know, incredibly talented, but a lot of them really struggled to turn that into a, how can I use this within the corporate environment or within the company environment? So I think I was very good at working within those constraints because yeah. I could be creative within it rather than if someone asked me to, you know, design some or create a piece of art, I would struggle, mm. you know. But given a tight brief, I could really hammer it um, and actually swallow my... Because I, I didn't have any hang-ups about this being a creative pursuit. Yeah, your artistic integrity was not going to be compromised. No, you didn't yeah, have yeah. Any. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have visions of, you know, having my own exhibition in the Tate, Tate <laughs> sure, Gallery. Sure, sure. Um, so I... I yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed because to me it was way more creative than being sitting in and tapping data into an Excel spreadsheet. But 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 these days, sort of fast forwarding again, and I, I know we don't want to fast forward too much here, but um, your artistic integrity could easily be com- compromised now. Mm. Oh, now I'm a diva. <laughs> yeah, no, but you, you've got a very clear um, purpose yeah and a clear vision as to how things should be yeah and therefore you don't want to make compromises in the way that and, and it is a sort of a creative process as well isn't it that you you go through yeah i guess like you said it's about having something to go to so then i didn't have a clear idea of where i wanted to go yeah i knew what i didn't want and for me work has been this process of elimination almost mm. yes where it's like Try something, don't like that, won't do that again. Yeah, and I didn't like it because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah, but, okay. And this, this is really interesting, this point, because it, it sounds like um, there's there's a, a number of different moments on your journey to where we've got to so far where y- you you recognize that something doesn't feel right, but you are changing every time. Hmm. And many people might feel that it's not right, but not feel the freedom of thought to to be able to change not know what to change towards Mm. where was that coming from because it felt like there was a real moment earlier when you were talking about going into that that job as a first job as a designer Mm. and almost it's almost i think you were almost saying day one i don't want to i don't want this Mm. but i'm going to stick it out for 10 months and there was some deliberate Mm. 
yeah. rationale for that. Tell us about that. The main thing for me was just the way people treated me. That was the number one thing. It wasn't necessarily about... The, so going back to the point about the Brighton boys, like the work wasn't that meaningful, but it was. they were a lot of fun yeah. to be around. Yeah. The culture was good. Yes. The cult, well, yeah. not the culture of the company. <laughs> yeah. The culture maybe, of the team was good. The culture yeah. of the team, that's right. But it was yeah. like us against them almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know... Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely a, the kind of the office vibe. Camaraderie. Camaraderie, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like, yay, we're all going there. It's like, oh, we're not going anywhere, but we just have fun while we're not getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas going into this company... I'd walk in and it was just like a morgue. I mean, it was really hard to put your finger on. Like hardly anyone said hello to you when you walked in. If they did, their head was down and they were shuffling along. It was just, there was no life. Yeah. You know? And because I was the, the the newbie, there was just, I don't know, just a huff and a puff when someone wanted you to do something. There was no, just no respect really. And that was the number one thing that I just didn't get. And it, And looking back, I'm so grateful that i worked there yeah absolutely. i was just thinking that when because you were saying it. i've said to people like i could have easily worked somewhere that was quite good or you know everyone was nice and and yeah so on a completely it, different tra- trajectory so if it had been less shit yeah <laughs> you may have stayed there longer yeah i definitely would have stayed there longer yeah and that's the scary thing like, so, well, so but, what, what, what tell us about you, you so you started to recognize this so you've seen other environments you know enough at this stage that it doesn't have to be like this mm-hmm. and you're valuing other things yeah um where did you start to form thoughts around like almost breaking free starting up your own thing mm. um having more like holding on to more of your own vision for for the future where did that start to kick in well i think after that job i went freelance so i i've never had a job since so it was that bad <laughs> yeah so i didn't um the thought of being constrained by a salary actually was 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 a was a prison to me it wasn't uh wasn't safety it was it was the opposite so i deliberately went freelance a because i wanted to break free but also b no one would hire me because i didn't have an experience in the thing i wanted to do which was more creative right so i couldn't go from working in the pension fund to you know working for a creative agency in london mm. so i had to just blag it and and go and freelance and and learn every hour I could to immerse myself or design websites for free or whatever it took just to immerse myself in that. So for me, it was, there was something pulling me. Um, and then I freelanced for five years. So that was my apprenticeship, I guess. That's in, interesting. Cause in pe- entrepreneurship. Pe- people will often not talk about um, working in a freelance capacity for, to, to achieve what you just described, mm. almost to kind of use it as a stepping stone towards some kind of change and learning as you go and dialing into because that's one of the benefits right that you get to um work on lots of different projects lots of different people lots of different environments and you 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 have to learn a lot mm. um not just about um environment and people and projects but also you have to start thinking about the broader extent of business and you know how to sell and how to charge and all sorts well, of I other think more than anything what you do is you learn about yourself yeah absolutely yeah you know yeah, yeah. You, you learn what you're good at and what you're not so good at yeah and then you start to think well i really hate this bit of it mm. you know what do i do do i either get good at it or do i find somebody to do that mm. uh, and then you start to think about employing people and well it's also i think the number one thing for me is the mindset mindset is the, the feeling <laughs> of it's all down to me mm. yes you know, yeah. and, and and I can control. Yeah, I can control. I've got. I've. I actually have got control over yeah. all of this. So if this goes tits up, it's my fault. Exactly. If it yeah, goes yeah. really well, then it's yeah. yeah. And I don't well, want not, it to go. Not, t- and not only is it my fault, but it's it's up to me to work out what happens next. Yeah. 
So whereas there can be, I think, this um, feeling of comfort around being paid a salary Mm. and almost sort of feeling like that's not going to go away unless I really, really screw up. Yeah. Um, And the truth is it can go away because the Mm. company, there's all sorts of reasons why it can go away. It's just, I think there's, it doesn't feel like it in in the moment, whereas freelance, I think changes the mindset around that. So you can recognize that change of mindset, can you, in in those days? And also just the the money side, you know, having to, not having the security of a salary. Yeah. Means you have to think on your feet. Yeah. And when you go away on holiday, you're not just paying for the holiday itself. You're also got that lack of income yeah um you don't work you don't get paid that's right yeah and you get very good at not taking sick days as well yeah Yeah. that's right yeah um it is a very very interesting process and it's also interesting to see you know a lot of people when they do go freelance and and maybe they're doing it because they they can't find a job Mm. and they end up working for one client and they're effectively not freelance anymore and resenting it Mm. because that that client can disappear it Mm any given moment and mm. they're back where they were and it, it, it's an interesting draw that secure yeah. the security mm. of a salary is a very understandable yes draw but for me at the time there was also just the the logic of it in terms of the numbers yeah you know, sure the numbers to go freelance i could work half the amount of time and get the same as i would have done by the time i, I got to the point of i could take a job and that, that again that speaks to what you were saying earlier of um being more conscious of the number of hours that you're devoting mm. to and, the, and and what you're getting paid for that. Yeah. So you were doing a different kind of calculation at that point because you were thinking about the world of work differently yeah. because of the sense of ownership around your time. And even just, okay, it's a risk uh, working freelance, but maybe I've only got to work 10 days a month to get the same amount of money I would do if I was in a full-time job. Sure. I can find 10 days of work, you know. So thinking in that way yeah. rather than, oh, I've not got any work coming in. Mm. It's like, yeah. well, I've got a lot of time. Mm. I can I can use that time so to find work. Um, and if I don't find work, I'll at least meet a lot of people who will set me, send me somewhere else. Yeah, and that, that, but that's, of course, why you, you, you earn more as a freelancer because you've actually got to spend time marketing. Yeah. And, and, unless you're, you know, then eventually you work it out and you realise I just do a really good job. And yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then stuff finds me. And then stuff finds me. Yeah. So was it quite a natural progression from there to starting the agency then and Carlos coming back into the picture? It was, I'd say it was quite a long journey. It was probably four or five years of me freelancing in London. Yeah. Working for, like you said, it was it was getting, getting not comfortable, just working in lots of different environments with lots of people and just seeing how companies ticked that was what really fascinated me was you walk in a room like the first job i had mm. and you get a vibe you know it's like oh it's like there's a different vibe in every company you go in even yeah. if there's a classic thing of a lot of startups <coughs> don't want to think about the culture because it's not the most important thing at the beginning right well unless you're from silicon valley and you just got a load of funding <laughs> in which case you buy a slide and a ping pong table yeah but that's not the culture right the culture is how people treat you when you walk in and so that fascinated me is like, oh, okay. Everyone thinks everything here is the way things are, but I've been somewhere next door and it's not, it's not like that. No. And just to, just on that point, um, something I've noticed over the last few years is sp- I've spent quite a lot of time in car companies all around the world, um, mm. you know, big, well-known brands. And, um, and, I, and it's so striking how when you walk into an office of a brand a company anywhere in the world how much the environment reflects the product mm. i've really really noticed that 
you know, the end product isn't that well respected in the marketplace, isn't priced particularly well, is not that desirable. And you look at the inner workings of, of that company and it tends to reflect mm. that that product and it goes the other way as well. Mm. And it's, uh, there's, a, there's a very strong correlation between those two things, yeah. um, which is the same thing that you're, you're talking about here. I think that, you know, that w w what the company feels like inside. Mm. Um, and often I think when you see, again, it comes back to congruence, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but where it's, we're not talking about the individual, but we're talking about a collection of people what they stand for, what they're trying to do in the world, which ultimately is a business. I, I think that this is re it's really interesting because the whole freelancing, the whole temping thing, mm. um, of which I've done both as well. You know, I did temping, I temping, when I couldn't work out what the hell I was doing, I just tempted and did loads of different jobs and loads, <laughs> loads of different... It just reminded me in the in the Amex place, the Brighton boys called me Terry Temp. <laughs> Terry, Temp. <laughs> Terry Temp. Brilliant, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw one of the guys years later and he's like, all right, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's just such a brilliant education. Yeah. I mean, I, I, all I'm saying, I think, is I with anybody listening, anybody that's any age to be quite honest but certainly if you're younger mm. and don't look at temping no. uh, as a cop-out yeah or negative that you can't find something just look at it as a brilliant opportunity to over the course of a few years to experience loads of different mm. um departments yeah I, mean, I, I worked in hr i worked in it i worked in accounts i, I mean i worked in sales i really did work in so many different environments actually what the end of it all that's what qualified me to do what I did because mm. I had, that I, I was a jack of all trades, mm. you know, uh, and I didn't really feel um, daunted by anything at the mm. end of it all because eventually I worked it all out that you just just immerse yourself in it. And, I think also and seeing, see what happens. Seeing getting to know the characters behind those teams, yeah, true. and knowing that they're all probably struggling in different ways. Yes. You know, when you think if you started out your company for the first time, you've not been in those environments, you might think, oh, those guys have got it worked out. Cause I, you know, But then having worked in them, I'm sure you see a very different view in yes. terms of what makes those things tick. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, and so, yeah, I, I would say the same thing is it's, it's just experimenting, right? It's just yeah. putting your feelers out and trying. I really like the idea of Pamela Slim's book, Body of Work. I mm. don't know if you've read that, mm. where she talks about these experiences like ingredients for your life yes and you think of your career like an artist would going back to the artist thing uh, as a body of work not a straight line career ladder yeah. but a wiggle a kind of you're accumulating experiences yep. and, and ingredients to create this recipe for your mm. for your work life which i really like and as a young person starting out thinking in that way rather than i need to have it all worked out i need my sort of career worked out and let, yeah, letting, letting yourself develop through that process so that because as you said before often there, there isn't there isn't a clear answer because you haven't experienced enough learned enough understood yourself well enough or found yourself in enough different environments in order to have a kind of clear view of what you should be gravitating to and you know where your where your passion really lies yeah, I mean, it's it's all an experiment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're still experimenting now. I mean, mm. we're exper experimenting with this podcast. Yeah. You know, we, we've not done this before. You know, it's, it's let's do it. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see what happens. And actually, it, it, it's a really enjoyable process. And mm. who knows <laughs> where it will lead? But it, it is. It's just an ingredient. So, so you that led you back to eventually. It led you back to Carlos. Mm -hmm. And had, he he was on a you was you said earlier he was he was um, he'd found himself in a lab 
He's probably ready to get out of that lab by now because he, he very went much young daylight. scientist of the year. Did in, he really? In like, oh, I didn't know that. Don't know. Whenever it was, twenty, just over. It probably was about fifteen years ago. Wow. Yeah, I remember the photo of him on the Sussex Uni website. He'd been to Finland for some award yeah. ceremony, and for his research, he'd won young scientist of the year. Amazingly, so yeah, I still don't understand what he did, but <laughs> it will explain to you. It's, it involves bouncing atoms. It's all I know. <laughs> He was oh, bouncing right. atoms in a lab for probably about three years. Oh, I'll definitely uh, understand that straight away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know, definitely right. <laughs> Your cup of tea. Yeah. I remember, like, me and our friends going to his lab, and he showed us around, and, and Carlos, in his defense, was definitely the more human of his <laughs> group. <laughs> there was lots of people who, who thrived in that environment where they don't see daylight or people for, yeah. you know, years on end. But um, Carlos managed to try, at least, to explain what, what it meant to a layman. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, Carlos went from being academic to getting an opportunity to work in a web agency in London through a mutual friend as a programmer. So, you know, obviously dabbled with computers when he was at, um, at uni. And actually, I had my own clients by this point. So I started out working for agencies, just going as a gun for hire. But then after a couple of years, started to build up my own client list and got to the point where, okay, I really can't build websites i can design them mm. um i can use dreamweaver <laughs> yeah. yeah going back a bit but they're asking for really complex stuff now that i can't do and so actually i remember inviting carlos in to work on a couple of projects that i'd um really got to the point of i'd actually i remember um you know signing the deal to to do it and then thought right how do i do yeah. how do i do this now yeah of course we can build a database and store, <laughs> store secure information <laughs> Um, so I was called Visual Aid. I remember. I remember the logo was like a sort of slightly strange-looking nurse. Um, <laughs> don't know. Seemed like a good creative at the time. But anyway, um, and so yeah, Carlos got this job, and then on the side started working together on on a couple of projects, and probably for about a couple of years, to be honest. It was he he'd started. I think he became director quite quick, technical director of this company. It was a small agency called Reading Room, but then mm. grew quite. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, grew yeah, into yeah. quite a big agency, and so he was part of their first office in Soho and he got a lot of responsibility very young but um but yeah I think it was a challenging environment for lots of reasons mm -hmm. and so he like a lot I think loads of people who worked there ended up setting their own company mm. um yeah the boss was quite interesting so I think that, that kind of led them to thinking I can do it do, do it better yeah and so me and Carlos yeah found ourselves in the same industry and then it was just a bit of bit of serendipity did it just feel natural and not kind of obvious almost I think we were wary because a, a I, I'd had my own little world yeah. in terms of I was ticking along, doing quite well. Working with friends was maybe a bit scary, mm. the thought of it. Mm. And everyone's like, well, I we don't want to, you know, you and Carlos running the business together. So we, we definitely did a few audition projects, which definitely gave us that confidence. So we weren't big risk takers, to be honest. It's probably a bit of a thread in this story. So what seems on the outside, you know, big gambles, actually, you know, we were quite cautious because our friendship was more important than anything else. Mm. That's probably why. Mm. Um, but Carlos stayed down in Brighton and I was in London and it got to the point where me and my wife had wanted a bit of a change but also if we were going to take this seriously and actually start a thing together rather than just him helping me out then yeah well, let's let's get an office because that's what you do when you're serious about starting a business <laughs> so we moved to Brighton it wasn't the sole reason to start the business but I think it was either either we do this or we don't mm. you know, if we don't then let's go our separate ways mm. so so yeah that was 2004 and that was Spook Studio. That was called Spook Studio. Yeah, no, no uh, reason why we called it that other than it needed to be easy to spell and memorable. Um, and actually, I think fun. You know, we wanted 
Yeah. It was playful actually. I remember playful, the yeah. first time I came into contact with with your with your agency back then, yeah. and and it, and it was it was like there were kind of it was caricatures, cartoony, mm. um, uh, and quite got kind of like strong block color. It was yeah, yeah, it was playful. It kind of came across as playful. I remember our mantra was no suits or minions at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably coming from the corporate environment and being treated like shit, <laughs> wanting to just work with people who you know were our peers. So, so it, there was a, there was a a strong desire, certainly from you, and it sounds like from Carlos as well, to do things differently, to not do things the way that was it exp- was expected, expected of us. yeah and to sort of rebel a bit and mm. be slightly on the side of the maverick yeah or they come to brighton and everyone's yeah, everyone else. Else. Yeah, yeah. so it's easy yeah it's we're all right. different yeah yeah i yeah. know oh, we're not all the same um no it was we knew what we didn't want that was one of the things we both come from, come from environment at this point by the time i was like three or four five years into my freelance career I just, you know, you're always kind of bottom of the the rung when you're a freelancer. You know, you just have to slot into an environment, but you're never, you know, you're never the one invited to the the work dues, mm. or you know, you're never really part of something, which is great in some ways because you don't get involved in the politics. Mm. But at the same time, you you know, you feel like an outsider. So, so, so all this time from the beginning of your journey to this point, you're still working on the basis that you learn what you don't want <laughs> i think so yeah and, and and does that change at any point to 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 knowing what you do want actually we i remember thinking when i was in london i was we were me and my wife in a bit of a rut so i remember she had a couple of miscarriages and she was commuting to north london and i remember the point we we just put life on hold for for quite a long time we wanted to move to brighton so mm. it was like always there and the, the business was was part of that clearly, but it wasn't the sole thing. And everything was just like on hold, and it was just like okay. And I remember we just thought, okay, I think she had another miscarriage. We thought, okay, let's just get a dog. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we always want, you know, that was one of the things. It's a big commitment, right? It's, yeah. it's pretty as big a commitment as having a kid in terms of you can't just leave a dog at home on its own all day. No, you can probably so, hear mine barking upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> better behave than mine. Yeah. Um, and that was the point at which we just thought, fuck it. Really, yeah. it was like. Let's just do what we want now. And then quite quickly, we made the decision to move to Brighton. We found a place. Um, Tamsin had to, she was getting, you know, again, going back to salary. She was getting good money in working for magazines in London. And we were like, well, if we're going to move to Brighton, A, I'm going to start this business. But B, we're not going to work in London. Like, that's there's no point moving defeats to Brighton. The object, right? yeah. yeah, it completely defeats the object. Um, and I was like, look, magazines are dying you're not going to, this industry's going downhill fast. You know, she went to Smash Hits, that closed. Um, so we just thought, okay, there's work for you somewhere. She's very good. And as it turned out, worked for Spannerworks, yeah. which is Ray's company, many moons ago. Um, one of the first employees, I think. And so, but that was, again, a complete, you know, I kind of pushed her into making a irrational decision of mm. leaving a company without any job to mm. go to. But because you you, you felt more comfort in doing that because you've been through that experience and you knew yeah the other and also side I, I could see what she couldn't which was there's an opportunity to work in digital sure to mm. use her skills in a way that isn't really being used and again that's the opportunity cost thing that we were talking about before we started recording of mm. like often you know either you can miss the opportunity cost completely or it can be a driver for change because i don't want the future to look like this no so what am i missing exactly but mm. i remember thinking going back to your question about the vision thing I remember thinking it wouldn't it be awesome just to have a little studio by the sea 
I remember walking through when we were looking at places, walking through North Lane, probably like every person who comes from London yeah. does, like, oh, it'd be lovely to live around here. And just the thought of, wouldn't it be awesome to have somebody who can just wander into work every day and do something good and then go home? And just, I think it was, the lifestyle was really appealing. The thought of, when I think of commuting in Brighton, it was like a 10 minute walk. Yeah. When I think of commuting in London, it's like an hour and a half slog each way. You know? And that's the moment you became a Brighton boy. That's the moment I became yeah. a Brighton boy. Not Terry Temp anymore. Not no. Terry Temp. Like, although, that, you know, I occasionally think I might bump into one of those guys yeah. in town now, <laughs> yeah. 20 years on. I hope they listen to this. Yeah. Um, so one one question. So you, again, for context for people listening to this, you're the, 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 the agency that you're running at the time, digital agency, you're creating websites mm-hmm. and, um, and, and web applications for, for customers, Spook Studio. And you mentioned before that um, the branding was, it was quite... Um, specific in terms of how you wanted to position yourselves yeah what you what kind of thing you were and as you said no suits no minions as mm. sort of the strap line did you notice um that the customers that you were working with became self-selecting and that there was a there was a kind of more natural fit did that did that play out yes and no we i guess it was a filter in terms of it's going to appeal to certain people so without that being a strategic decision I think we wanted to make sure that, yeah, we wanted to work with people we liked working with. I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but when you're an agency, it's certainly the beginning, often you don't have that luxury. You yeah, have to right. take, and we did like make loads of mistakes and we did take on, so to some extent it wasn't a filter because some of the wrong people did come through mm. and and, we'll, and we get blinded by the money or blinded by the, the project. Mm. So, but again, going back to the whole point about experimenting, we didn't really know what our strengths were. We knew what we were good at but coming together to run something and working projects together and, you know, selling us as a company was a very different thing to selling me as a freelancer. Sure. So, yes, I think we knew that, you know, coming. the one thing about me and Carlos, certainly Carlos, is he can make complex things very simple or appear to be simple, but with a lot of knowledge there. And mm. So that was one of the things we were always very clear on from the beginning was, a lot of this stuff is quite difficult to a lot of people who don't know how to do this stuff, mm. whether it's designing a website, building an online application form, whatever. So it's, it could be easy for us to make that complicated to sell our products or service to, to for our own benefit. But actually, we enjoyed taking something like that and then helping people mm. um, make decisions that felt easier rather than difficult. And you, and you, you, you got into working with startups, didn't you, through, through the agency? Yeah, that was, um, again, from working on lots of different types of projects. So we worked for big, uh, I think probably classic early startup mistake is you don't really define who your ideal customer is. Mm. And so you go, yes, 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 (laughs) to to lots of projects because you have to. And so we worked for small startups. We worked for the NHS. We worked for private equity companies i mean lawyers you name it we 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 tried all these projects out and it was again that process of elimination mm. of working out yes that was lucrative but there was a thing that didn't make it enjoyable or actually when we start to plan a uh, time you know manage our time and look at how long, how long we were spending on projects okay yeah that doesn't look as profitable as if we thought it was so i think the startup thing came about because we really enjoyed working with people who had an idea that they wanted to bring into the world more so than a marketing team. And again, this goes back to me and I know Carlos too, working in agencies, you're quite detached often from the customer Hmm. or the client even. 
So if I was designing as part of a big team, the project manager would go out and have the client meetings and then come back to you with a brief. You didn't necessarily get to meet the client, never mind the customer you're designing it for. So there was that big detachment in terms of feeling of impact or feedback. Mm. And also things can get lost in translation. Well, definitely get lost in translation. <laughs> and there's time pressures that aren't often healthy. So you don't have that dialogue with the client whereby when we could do that, you go, actually, look, you said you want it tomorrow or Monday, but we're going to push back for this reason versus it needs to be done for tomorrow, Yeah, which I never got. Yeah. So having those discussions with a decision maker was easier than someone who was more of a job's worth and their thing was just to do their thing, mm. not actually let's do the right thing. And so, so again, to Ray's point earlier, it sounds like you're that you're still on this journey of sort of chipping away, and removing things that don't feel right. You know that mm-hmm. uh, that that customer doesn't feel so right. I want to get closer to the decision maker, more empathy for the for the job that I'm doing. Um, outside looking in, because I I knew you through that mm. through that period. Um, but to go from having an established agency with a few people where the lifestyle was probably reasonably good mm-hmm. for, for everyone and it was kind of probably comfortable mm-hmm. outside looking in to go from that to happy startup school full-time mm. as a very different kind of endeavor mm. feels like a very profound shift you mentioned earlier that it wasn't quite as stark as that mm. but it seemed like it from an outside point of view so how how did you how did that come about how, how could you tell the story of where where did happy startup school first come from and um, and the the journey that you went through to actually go from one business to a very different kind of business. So whilst we were running the agency, we were working on these different projects. And like I said, we ended up zooming in on startups because we just enjoyed that early stage mm. process of working with founders. And I think looking back, we whilst we built stuff, you know, I designed stuff and Carlos essentially managed that tech side. We really enjoyed the questioning, I think we mm. enjoyed the, the early stage meetings, workshops where we would grill people because often they would come to us with a big brief and they just want us to build it. But actually, they might not have been the right product to build. Yeah. Um, or even so if it was. Best, so the best thing you could do is actually dissuade them from doing it because they're going to. Which is a which really is count, shit was thing to do when you're running an agency. agency. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, to be honest, is part of it is we did talk ourselves out of projects um, when the well the right the sensible thing to do would be to say okay background at the back of your head you're like this is never going to work <laughs> yeah but you just take it and run which is which is terrible for you because you can't it's very difficult to do a good job when you think it's a shit idea yeah so we 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 again learned the hard way we worked on some projects and some of these projects are like 6 months long you know not the sole thing we're working on but it's blood sweat and tears mm. it's their baby it's their money um it's it's an investment of time and energy each time we do these things with them. So we're kind of in bed with them for this period of time. So when it doesn't work, you feel it and they feel it. And it's not just, okay, we've just lost a bit of budget this quarter. It's, this is my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's where I think it was partly the way the company evolved, but partly the way the world was moving was more online. And so it wasn't about, can you design a new website for our law firm? It was, we want to create a platform for lawyers which yeah. is our business. Mm. Yeah. Or at the time we built the social network for ultra high net worth individuals, mm. which was Facebook for the rich, you know. Mm. So this is a a business which sole mission is to create online community and and uh, engagement. So it's it's a business, it's not 
uh, a brochure for the business. No, right. Yeah. So that became more important for us to then let's take that due diligence of, hey, do we want to work with these people? Because it's a big commitment of our time and energy. And also, do we want to, like your questions before this podcast, there's a filter of, do they believe in this way of doing things? Because if they don't, then it's going to be, the honeymoon period is going to be really short. Sure. Yeah. And so we would run workshops with people really early on to kind of almost throw their ideas out the pram a bit to see how do they react to that? Because without that honesty, then we'd never get anywhere with them. Um, and that's from experience of working on projects for a long time. And I remember vividly arguing about, you know, the color of a button <laughs> about an online platform when they hadn't even tested out the whole business model and one meeting with a charity killed the whole business after we built it and after we'd had those arguments about the color yeah, of the button. Okay. So and, you were you were feeling more and more impassioned about uh, this role that you could play. And as you say, like almost uh, a, a, a sweet spot in timing of... Um, digital or, or, or internet technologies actually rather than being a bolt-on to a business actually defining what a business can be mm. so therefore you're at the table in different guys um still th that transition you know that that moment where you go we've got this established business which is safe mm. to a degree comfortable we know what we're doing um we could keep doing this for another decade or mm -hmm. two to something that looks very very different mm. um feels like a profound shift it wasn't it wasn't we we'd been toying a lot with the idea of sharing what we'd learned because like i said partly feeling disillusioned with some of these projects we'd worked on just like oh and then someone comes to you like bright-eyed and bushy tail with a brief you know the next day and you're like okay we've been through a few of these before we've, we've been through these meetings where everyone's really excited and positive um, we know where this ends up. Not always, but you yeah. know, as we know, eight out of ten, whatever the figure is, startups yeah. fail. Yeah. So, what can we do to reduce that chance of failure? Number one, but also, what can we do to share this? So, partly it was a need we had when these people were coming to us with like they're coming with this excitement. They want us to build something. They don't necessarily understand what it takes to build something, a bit, whether it's online or just a business. Anyway, they're probably first-time entrepreneurs often, mm. so they think it's just about the idea. They just think if we just get a team to build this product, then it's all great. They hadn't thought about them as entrepreneurs, what they're going to learn. They haven't thought about um, finding customers. It's just about the idea and the product mm. and build it and they will come. Yeah. So there was a frustration there. We wanted to have a way for people to come to us with more of an understanding of what it took. So for example, buy the lean startup, you know, or like as, as what happened more and more, we'd write blog posts more as rants to our clients and then point people in the direction of those to say this is what you know this is what really happens and this is what you can prepare yourself for so there was a need to teach and to share and and so we've been toying with the idea of training and workshops to partly build our reputation as as people who knew what they were talking about but also just to be of use to people and so many people didn't understand this stuff um, even if they've read a book you mm. know and so this is like an applied well, this is an application of how this actually works so we've been talking around the idea of training workshops. We're going to call it, call it spook, spook school, I think. Um, but more and more, we also got interested in companies and company culture and, and the happiness piece, you know, about like, actually, we're running this business. Why are we doing this? You know, we've been doing this a few years now. Um, why would someone work with us beyond just paying us to do their job? Um, and actually, the companies that inspired us were companies that 
outside of an industry who were just challenging the way that people worked. And so for us, it was this balance of, yes, we want to teach startups and innovation and entrepreneurship and how to do that, but also what's the point of it all? <laughs> you know, mm. Like if you're coming to us with a brief of building the next Facebook, like, is this really going to work? You yeah. Know? Where and, does the and, energy come from? Yeah. To and and the do we times? believe in this? Is this going to make anyone's life better? Yeah. And so more and more a need to want to work on things that actually had some impact and, you know, whether it was the founders had a strong need behind it or actually we could see this is a good thing to do. This is a good use of our time. And this is something, as it turned out, you know, you're talking about the opportunity cost. As we have this vision for the Happy Startup School, every project we took on was coming at the cost of that. So it became even more important to work huh. on stuff we believed in. Because if we didn't, it was like this thing I'm working on feels even more pointless. Yeah. Because there's no point to it. How did you feel about... so? I, I'm still guessing there was a moment where you said, "Let's, we're gonna, we're gonna go all in on this. This is this is our future, and this is what we're gonna do. So let's commit to it." S same as you said earlier about moving to Brighton. Okay, let's let, let's do this business with you and Carlos. So there's there's that moment, but there's also, I'm sure, for a lot of people in the back of your mind, I think at that time you had kids and mm -hmm. you're a bit more settled. Um, it's not the, it doesn't sound like the easy path. You know, it, especially from a kind of, um, is this going to succeed? Is it going to give me what I hope? Can I create a community? Um, is there enough? Is there enough in this? Enough meat in it? Can I? Can mm. I? Can I create? Can I match my salary? You know, all of those mm. um, thought processes. How did you? How did you get through those? I mean, looking back, I still ask myself those questions because it was. Um, I think of it as, I couldn't really. I couldn't really see a vision for the agency. So that was one thing. And when you were asking about what was pulling me to Brighton, it was, okay, the small studio by the sea. And it actually was working with Charlie Davis, who we talked about before, a friend of ours from Brighton, who was a bit of a coach and mentor for us. And um, it was a realization that actually the vision we had for that was done. Yeah. Like, what's the next vision? Yeah. And that was success like okay and we were very lucky me and Carlos that we'd both had kids around the same time so it wasn't like we had different sort of points of life where we wanted different things so that was good too that we both almost took a you know a bit of a step back from the business at a point where we had very young kids and so not step back but just time was more important and mm -hmm. that was one thing I'm glad we did at the time um but so yeah it was this kind of feeling of I don't really know where this is going and actually, a lot of the people I talk to who run successful agencies that are bigger and better than us aren't really inspiring me to be that person. You know, to, oh, I don't want that for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine for them, but I don't want more overheads. I don't want more staff. I don't want more stress, really. Um, and the way we were going, startups don't have much money. So if we wanted to do bigger projects, we'd have to work with bigger clients, which work with working with bigger organizations, which was not what we wanted to be about. So that was the, the challenge for that. And then the other thing was, I could feel, I would say the life slipping away from me, but I just was, I've been doing it a long time. I've been building stuff for 15 years. And I wanted to do our, you know, we've been experimenting with different product ideas for a long time, which are more tech products. And this was a complete accident, happy startup school, but there was definitely a feeling of creating our own thing rather than just creating other people's vision. And using almost using all this thing, all these things we'd learned. I actually remember Ray saying something. Um, I can't remember when we first came to you with you know chat to you and Pete and a few of the guys, conscious business guys in Brighton. You saying agency is a great way, something like it's a great apprenticeship, but it's a really bad way to live your life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that really hit home to me too, is that feeling of, yeah, it is, it is a stress and it is um, other people's agenda. So we run your company to be independent and autonomous and have freedom. And often <laughs> it comes at the cost of that. Because well, as soon as you finish your one project, the, the next client is desperate for whatever it is exactly you need to do is on your on your back and yeah and 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 you're never out of that loop (laughs) no so you you were really ready for a change but i'm still wondering i'm left wondering how much a deciding factor it was to you know shut the doors on the Mm -hmm. business that you had and what uh, the kind of confidence and the reputation um that you had on there and and then also shift into this completely new world at a stage in life where you've got kids to support and mm. you've got family and all the rest of it. C- can you remember ha- at that moment, how did, how you, how did you get through that? Do you remember? I remember you- the exact moment because it was a very specific situation. <laughs> so we'd, we'd happy startup school was on the side. Um, and I remember Carlos saying at the time, we've had more people get in touch with us or hear about us or know about us in about a month of doing it than we'd had in 10 years of running the agency that's amazing yeah, so well, there was that and that was off the back of because you said that you were starting to think about this school and stuff so you so by that point you were sort of testing ideas and you, yeah and that, we actually and, found an old email thread between the two of us where the name popped up and it was as soon as the name popped up that was it like all in one like everything about what we wanted to do was encapsulated in that name mm. um there was the learning element teaching there was the entrepreneurship and there was the purpose happiness thing um so whilst people say our name's not that important for us it was because it crystallized the vision for both of us we were like this thing no and you know chatting to charlie who's the guru of this kind of source thing he would say yeah but there was lots of other things that carlos suggested because carlos came up with the name but it was only me who went yes that's the name you know Mm. yeah it's a nuance but it's important in terms of it's that um you can i could picture it and Mm. as soon as you know within a day of i'd create the landing page a slide deck you know it just all came to life it was all there but that just crystallized it and so that was on the side for a good year or two and so the community had formed so partly there was a confidence of okay well this there's something here you know there's how many do you, there's do you remember energy how many people you had in the community at that point i don't know i remember like we definitely had thousands because i remember putting out an ebook and we'd had thousands download that overnight once okay. um so there was an energy behind it yeah um but it, to be honest it was less about the numbers it was just the stories and the the, yeah. the conversations so you know we always say to anyone starting out like we did with you just just throw it out there you know like just talk to as many people as you can anyone who's doing anything similar i remember chatting to mark williamson you know he, he was one of the first few people i reached out to because you know looking on yeah. you know, happiness yeah business whatever just talk to anyone who's doing this stuff but what, what have they learned um what can we learn from them people who inspired us just just ask you know just ask for help um, and so, but the pivotal moment was we went, so we did our first retreat in the Alps in 2015. And it was a kind of a pilot version of Alps. It was very much a pilot. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Jack Hubbard, who is the founder of, uh, an agency in Brighton like us, he, I know you both know Jack very well, but Jack, I think he just moved to the Alps around that time, but he'd spoken at our summer camp, our first weekend summer camp and shared this vision he had for his, uh, new life. Mm. And he'd called the place Dream Valley. Jack's a good brander and marketeer and he'd coined this term Dream Valley, which, you know, he, again, his vision for this place was a playground for entrepreneurs. And 
And so that inspired there, there us. Is, to... There's a there's a pic, you've seen the picture. Yeah, it's great. It is uh, great. We'll put that we'll put that on the show notes of this so people can see that. But yeah. that that really encapsulates his vision in, in a really visual way. As well. Exactly. And so Jack had shared this vision for this um, yeah this playground, and we'd wanted to do an overseas event at this point, and also wanted to do events which were less. I wouldn't say less work, but less curated than summer camp. Summer camp's more of a conference in terms of we bring in speakers, we bring in workshop leaders, mm. we have activities and music and stuff. But um, the thought of having a bit more time a week rather than three days and also having less people and more space and generally bringing in more experienced people who don't need that, you know, spoon feeding so much and who can just, you know, enjoy that space together. So yeah, it was very much a pilot and we'd invited lots of people we know who are um, in the community already and then put it out to the world and had loads of people apply and, you know, we ended up with people from India and Brazil and Israel and right. as well as a few people from Brighton that we knew well. And we made it very clear, this is an experiment, like we don't know if this is going to work, yeah. but this is a cool place, it's an amazing place and you, you're cool people, let's see what happens. And there was a moment when... We got to, we did a big hike up to one of the mountain huts and we encouraged people on the way up to share a challenge that they had with the group. And I remember um, Tom Drew actually from Big Lemon mm. was there and he was sharing a challenge that he had in his business and someone else shared theirs. And we got right to the top and I was like, mm, I've got something I want to share. And at this point, me and Carlos were having these discussions around what do we do? You know, this happy start school thing's taking off. It's really got a head of wind behind it, but there's no real business other than couple of random events and but then the agency's actually at this point doing very well well for us it was doing well and we could see where it could go without the vision but in terms of the revenues coming in but the passion had gone from it and so mm. we just i just pitched this thing of like we're at a crossroads like a lot of you um so maybe the the aptitude came altitude retreat came about because we needed it too yeah that's, that's right. great we needed that space looking back and I think one of the things that makes those events work is we're part of the group. We're not. I've won. Yeah, I've seen this. We're not um, on the outside. No, you're because you, you're building your business. And yeah. You've got stuff to learn, and you're learning from yeah. the people around you. But so, did you 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 put that out there to to that network of people, mm -hmm. which is the point of out, altitude. Mm -hmm. You know, this safe space and yeah. kind of share and 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 find, um, find answers or direction. Mm -hmm. Did you did you was there a promise made? What 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 happened? It wasn't even a promise. I remember sharing it, and uh, I remember standing. In a, it was it was quite a. It almost looked spiritual. I stood on the, for some reason, it was just stood on this rock, and everyone was below me. And I was like, "Why am I standing up here? <laughs> bizarre." I've even seen a photo of it recently. It looks bizarre. Um, and then I remember people just saying, "I'm thinking the Lion King now." Pride <laughs> <laughs> <Hyde> Rock. <laughs> There's someone playing in the background, yeah. <laughs> pan pipes. Um, no, I just remember it wasn't people even saying because i was asking for advice right i was asking like what should we do and it was like sounds like you know what to do mm. you're just looking for permission to do it mm. and there was like 25 people just going just go do it like <laughs> doesn't sound like there's any decision to be made you know we're here you guys are onto yeah. something they were right weren't they yeah and then charlie actually came up with a great line which was um if you're a web design agency we've got nothing in common but if you're happy startup school we've got loads in common yeah and um and again, we start to get feedback like that from people. It's like, there's loads of design agencies out there. Like, you, you can pick it up anytime if you wanted to. <laughs> to do, yeah, revisit that. There's not yeah. many people out there who could do this in this way. Um, yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, it you know, you un, you're the source, in, in Charlie's words. You, yeah. You, you were the source of that. Yeah, we were the source. And actually, 
I, you know, talking about that vision and, and frustration or the opportunity cost of not doing something, I'd, um, I could see where this was going and actually could see if I didn't do it, I would have loads of regrets. Mm. And so, so maybe, the regret maybe, starts yeah, to drive you. Maybe the, the pitch to people was they could sense the frustration in me yeah. if we didn't do this. Yeah. So this goes back to the loss aversion thing that we talked yeah, about exactly. earlier. It's, yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you knew you, you could not do it. No. It, you know, it, it, again, I think a lot of the, well, I wouldn't say the best ideas, the, the ideas that happen are because it's not a choice. It's no. There's a, a need and an urgency to make it happen. And it's, it just, yeah, not doing it is painful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that, that goes back to something you said earlier about, you know, it wasn't the easy thing to do to, you know, for, for any, it feels like from the outside sometimes that these things are not the easy thing to do, but actually when you're in it, yeah, it doesn't. They the gut, are, yeah. and it's the gut, the gut instinct, isn't it? You, you. I think what you're talking about there is that feeling that you've got, where it's like mm. I kind of when those twenty five people are saying, "Come mm. on, Lawrence," like mm. you know there isn't a question to ask here. You're no. making it hard for yourself. What they're really saying is your gut's already telling you. Yeah, and that also goes back to something you were saying about earlier about this this bring this coherence, congruence, whatever yeah. you want to call it, bringing together what you think mm-hmm. you should do and what, what you, you do, do do. Yeah, and when you do that, it feels right. Yeah, and when you don't do it. It feels wrong. Yeah. yeah. So just, just it's to, having the it's having the ammunition to then battle off those questions, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there are 101 reasons. Not, you know, then yeah. you start to think of the reasons why you shouldn't do it. That's right. You and you've got to be yeah. careful. Yeah. I mean, and again, it, you need that. You need that support network. You know, there's people around you to hold the mirror up to you and go, "It's going to be okay." You know, this yeah. is what you. This is this is what you need to but do. Then you go back to Roosevelt's you know quote: "There's there's nothing to fear but fear itself." A, mm. a lot of the time. Yeah. Like that and spiders. So um, just just to to bring this to to a close, um, it'd be good for people to hear a bit about what what you what what's the other side of the wall. You know, like mm. you've made this big decision, and we know because we know you. But um, what's what what does the world look like now for you? Mm-hmm. It depends on different days. I think my week. I think well, one thing we've helped we found useful for us to work out how we want to develop this is just looking at how we want to work day to day Mm. um which i think is a good useful way for a lot of whether it's freelancers entrepreneurs but particularly entrepreneurs i think like how do you want your week to look rather than i mean it's useful to think far ahead but often that doesn't feel tangible for the day to day um because again it might come at the cost of your own well-being or Mm -hmm. your own sort of uh freedom so typically and again it depends on the different times of year for us so in the run-up to a big event i'll be (coughs) pretty involved in that so at the moment i'm working on sort of curation for summer camp which is our event that happens every september um we've got altitude coming up in june which will be the fifth year we've run that and that's so in the, in the french alps that's in the french alps and again with jack there and and some other people we know but mostly new people who are part of the community or, or found us through that um but a lot of time now we're spending um working more directly with people either one-to-one so we do some coaching myself and carlos but more and more the online community platform that we offer and so we're trying to explore ways to blend those two things so it's not are you an events company or are you an online mm. you know training company or an online community we're kind of both of those things and the i think the sweet spot for us is coming together in person is not something we can ever recreate online but what we can do is make those interactions more meaningful so that if you have met in the real world then you're yeah. going to get cut to the chase quicker and so um so there's that aspect but also even people who haven't been to our events or never will be able to get to them the fact that they can see that happening and we're a real thing we're a real company with real people 
um, that gives them confidence and they feel connected to it, which is quite nice. So trying to bring those two worlds together mm -hmm. where, yeah, yes, the best uh, impact is like one-to-one -one or in a in-person thing. But at the same time, and, there's lots we can do. Online. And it's been, I think you said earlier, like, from the point of actually doubling down on this, it was, it was about four years-ish mm -hmm. now. But you've made this, this works for you as a business now. This is, this is like paying the bills and, yeah. it's, and it's and it's kind of you know it's like it's, it's a good quality of life and and you're really happy with that side of things yeah. i'm saying that because i know because we, we've talked about it before yeah i, I mean it's that. like with a lot of these things you're never where you think you might have been or where you want to be so uh, we, we've done things the slow <laughs> stupid way maybe um but the one thing we are is independent yeah. and self-sustaining so um, there's fr slight frustrations because we want to grow quicker maybe than we are but I think to be honest we, we've we made decisions that have taken us longer to get to where we are to now but if we'd have fast tracked that it probably would have been to the detriment of the long term sure. viability of either our energy or the business itself so, so it's allowing, allowing you to build solid foundations and a quality yeah. offering yeah yeah. Okay. So we kind of had to take a step back. So we had a space in Brighton, which was a, a leftovers from the agency, which we tried to work as a co-working space, and actually became a distraction because that's not our business, mm. you know. And so we tried to, you know, on one hand we were like building a local version of Happy Startup School, and then building an online thing, and then building pop-up events, and it was yeah, just yeah. like this is just crazy. And so letting go of that was um, actually took a bit of, let, uh, I wouldn't say sounds a bit weird it was a bit of a, a moment it was like okay we don't have a real a physical thing now yeah so but is that, it a, is it a thing but that but that's like a lot of your the people that get involved at the happy startup mm. school they haven't got a physical thing so no. you're much more like your yeah your customers exactly uh, and, and like you said before the, va the value so much is in the community isn't it yeah, yeah how, how big's the community now roughly i mean it depends on you measure it we've got an online community which is a paid community so there's a couple or well, a few hundred members there um but I think the community itself is a lot wider, which is, I would say, either the, the people who've been to our events, alumni would be in the thousands, and then our wider list is close to 100,000 now, Yeah, which is people who follow our blog. Yeah. So there's tons of people who, like we met a couple last week, we did an event in London, and uh, yeah, the people who followed us for like four years who know everything about us, and we've never met them before. Yeah, wow. Well, and they talk really to you exciting. like, hey, it's me, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so it's kind of, a bit unnerving because you're like okay what do you know <laughs> did i share too much <laughs> but it's also you know we've had people come to altitude or um i chat to someone two days ago she yeah she's coming to altitude in june and she's from not too far from where we do it actually but um but yeah she's followed us for four years Amazing. and it's the first thing she's ever come to yeah so it's a really long sales cycle yeah yeah but <laughs> there's a lot of trust there I think what what we'd what we'd love to do at some point in the next few years is 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 talk to you again and hear some of the stories of mm. the people that have been through the Happy Startup School mm. and some of the stories that um, you can see of you know where they were and almost you know outside looking in yeah. of a, of those stories would be really great. Actually, you, spoke, you spoke to Rick and Hen, didn't you? We did. Yeah, we did, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, because they mentioned that they, yeah. they were they were there earlier, weren't they? Yeah. So they came to the uh, ashram retreat we ran in India, and so yeah, the idea for the slow working space came mm. about from well, it was obviously there always, but it crystallised during that week um, mm. for Hen particularly. So um, so yeah, that's the bit that interests us is the stories of people because you know we we try and capture them, but often you don't hear about them. No. Or you hear about, okay, I went to work with so-and-so in, you know, a different part of the world and they'd only met at altitude, you know, or wherever. And so that's the anecdotal stuff, which when someone says, what are the success stories from your community? <laughs> and you're like really struggling to think of them because yeah. you don't have those, you know, 
charts that point up in the right direction. Yeah, quite, yeah. But often it is those stories of connection and collaboration yeah. and yeah, progress. Thank you. Um, it's been really great to to hear the story, and there's so many moments of like um, inspiration to hear. Uh, uh, there's just a couple of things to leave on. Um, I don't think we've actually used the metaphor that you used before we started talking about this idea of like chipping away. Mm. Would you just pass that on? What's well, the idea that if you you have a vision for something, you maybe don't know what it is until you see it. And so the idea of creating a sculpture, and I'm really bad at remembering uh, quotes, but it's something to do with Michelangelo. I think so, yeah. Um, about, I don't know what the statue looks like, but I keep chipping away until i know yeah. until i see it, I yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah i think that's yeah that, that's and that's, that's that's a really sure nice metaphor for yeah it really is this, yeah and I, I think that you know just just so if, if anybody's unclear you know the whole temping and mm. working yeah, with corporates yeah. that they were chips yeah it was the, the whole, whole way from that yeah. block yeah 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 fantastic um, okay. where do where do people find the happy startup school so the happy com is our main site which links to all the work we do um we have loads of stuff on medium uh, medium blog which again is a link on our site so we write a lot uh, Carlos has started doing a podcast too there yeah are, great there are other podcasts available which is uh, actually called the Happy Start Community Podcast so he interviews a lot of people from the community and tries to dig into their stories and the like you are the quirks mm. and the nuances rather than the success stories necessarily and um, yeah and our events we run a monthly ideas cafe in Brighton which is free so a lot of people come to that as a first first port of call of their they're in the uk um but yeah our hope is to grow this and have more local sort of pop-ups so we have one in amsterdam one in london one in uh, brighton but yeah seeing more of those happen because so people can get access whether or not they have the money to come on the bigger things just to experience what it's like to connect with other like-minded people really that's what it's all about yeah fantastic thank Great. you Lauren. Yeah, cheers, Lauren. thank you That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback, so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at lifedonediff, that's double F. If you fancy something different in your life, check out Do Something Different. It's really simple. Head over to www.dsd.me, go to the pro collection, choose a program that suits your goal. That could be being happier, more emotionally intelligent, or even quitting smoking. And then you're off. You'll be sent some small steps that stretch your comfort zone and help you achieve your goals. Enjoy. And until next time, keep on living life differently.